The scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, what shall we compare the kingdom of God, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Suze. We are continuing our series on the person and purpose of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark today. And in the rapid pace of Mark's Gospel, he slows down here and he leans into some of Jesus' teaching. Last week, Brad helped us see the parable of the sower. Uh, Jesus' description of how different people hear and respond to the good news of Jesus' kingdom and his rule and his reign. Last week was about the receptivity of our hearts to Jesus and his word and his ways. And this week, Jesus continues to expand our understanding of the kingdom. And he does that uh, this time, though. He wants us to focus on the power of his kingdom. Uh, the people around Jesus are, are likely, um, that are hearing him, they're looking at him, and they're likely thinking and potentially saying, you know, really, Jesus? You, you're the king? Um, this isn't how kings act. This isn't how people change the world. You change it through power. You change it through military force. Uh, you change it through significant action. They'd be thinking these words that Shania Twain sang so many years ago, you know, that don't impress me much. Um, it's a real dated joke for you. Um, but Jesus, through his teaching, uh, he's basically saying, wait for it. It's happening. It's coming. Just wait for it. So let's pray, asking God to bless our time together as he sows his seed among us today through his word, and we're going to jump into the text together. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy to us. We thank you that you give us your word. Uh, we thank you that we can trust it, that it is good and true and perfect. Uh, we thank you that you have protected it down through the ages, that we have it and we can trust in it this morning. Uh, we pray for uh, all of us here that we would come into contact with the good news of your gospel, that we would be changed and shaped by it, that you would soften hearts, that you would garden the, and, and remove the weeds and the thistles and the rocks um, among us 
and you would make our hearts fertile soil uh, to receive your word, to trust in it, and to be excited about who you are and what you're doing. It's in Christ's name that we come. Amen. On May 8, 1886, a, a uh, pharmacist named John Stith Pemberton uh, went to Jacob's Pharmacy in Atlanta, Georgia, and he brought with him this jug of syrup, and he mixed it with carbonated water, and he waited. And the first day in Jacob's Pharmacy, he sold nine drinks for five cents a glass. And from those humble, seemingly insignificant beginnings, beginning with 45 cents that first day, Pemberton had no idea that his concoction of syrup and carbonated water sold in one pharmacy in one city for 45 cents that first day would turn into a corporation worth over $40 billion today, selling about 1.8 billion bottles a year in over 200 countries across the world. Pemberton never could have imagined that his new drink called, thank you, Coca-Cola, would dominate the world's beverage choice and would become the second most understood term across the world, second only to the word, okay. You know, could Pemberton ever have imagined that this little drink would one day become the world's most popular beverage and the most popular brand across the world. You know, the disciples here with Jesus and those gathering around and watching Jesus are thinking a similar thing here. They're saying, are you, are you really bringing the kingdom of God that's going to change, that's going to take over the entire world? Jesus, you're just a homeless man that has this ragtag group of followers. It's never gonna work. It's not going to happen to think that God's kingly reign was embodied in Jesus and this motley crew of followers must have seemed ludicrous to those in Jesus' day. And if we're honest, it really seems ludicrous to us as well. You know, today we struggle to see God at work in the world. I mean, we look around, look at all the pain and the injustice and the suffering that's happening. Look at the weakness and the hypocrisy in Jesus' church. Look at all the broken people that have fallen away. Look at all the things threatening Jesus' gospel and his kingdom. Things often seem hopeless to us. The world seems like it's falling apart and caving in on itself. We struggle to believe that Jesus' kingdom, his ways, are really going to work. Because how can it? It's ridiculous. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't look and act like how we would expect a king to look and to act. His call to his people to follow him is, is not what we would expect. It's not impressive at all. It comes through losing. It comes through death. It comes through service and humility and giving yourself away. That's ridiculous, Jesus. It's not going to work. And yet Jesus, through his teaching, through his life and death and resurrection, he says exactly my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, but I'm really the king, and this is really happening, so wait for it. The first thing that we're confronted with in this text this morning is that the kingdom of God is unimpressive. We're going to see three things. We're going to see that it's unimpressive, it's unrecognizable, but ultimately it's unstoppable. So first, the kingdom of God is unimpressive. Look at the, at the two parables that Jesus explicitly says the kingdom of God is like in verses 26 and 30 that Susanna read. A man scatters seed on the ground. 
It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed that you plant in the ground. It's so ordinary. It's so mundane. It's so boring. You know, mustard seeds would just look like dust in your hand. Jesus is using this common everyday thing, sowing seeds, a seed itself, to communicate to this people something that they would have been, it would have been so familiar to them that it would be so insignificant and so happenstance and so unimpressive to them that they might just discard it. You know, your kingdom is really like this, Jesus. It's like a, a mustard seed. It's like a, a man sowing seed on the ground. You know, for us, it would be like Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is like going to the grocery store or going to pump gas or going to check your mail at the mailbox. You know, we can really miss the kingdom because it really is unimpressive. The, the people in Jesus' day, they expected the Messiah to come and to create this political upheaval and to rid Israel of the Roman oppressors and take over the world that way, by military power, by military force. That really would be impressive. And if we're honest, we, like them, we actually prefer the impressive. We prefer the bombastic and the sensational and the magnificent. You know, think about the way that we talk about almost everything. Um, for anything to grab hold of our attention and to keep it, it has to be immediately impressive. Um, it has to be the biggest and the best thing ever for it to be worth our time or our energy. You know, it's, it's got to be um, the greatest play, the greatest team, the greatest book, the greatest season, the greatest movie, the greatest food, the greatest app, whatever it is, um, the greatest sermon, the greatest preacher, whatever, or else it's so unimpressive to us. And it's not worth our time or our energy. You know, Jesus isn't the king that his original audience or that we really expect. He isn't coming with military power and force. You know, a king that, that we or a king that Jesus' original audience would deem really impressive, um, he wouldn't be born in Bethlehem. He, he wouldn't come from the small backwoods hick town of Nazareth where when Nathaniel hears about him, he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Um, if the most important king that was ever to be born, um, if he was going to come and he was going to announce his birth to someone, wouldn't he pick someone more important? Wouldn't he pick a group of people that were more significant and powerful? But instead, his birthday announcement comes to a group of shepherds, to a group of lowly and unimpressive and despised people at that time. And then this king, he doesn't live in a palace surrounded by important people or well-to-do people. He's essentially, as we said, he's homeless. He doesn't have a place to lay his head. And he gathers for himself this ragtag group of misfits, of nobodies, and of outcasts as his followers. And then we're told about this Jesus in Isaiah 53, that he would come up like a tender shoot. Again, unimpressive, insignificant. That he would have no beauty or majesty that to attract us to him. There's nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. He's despised and he's rejected by men. A man of sorrows familiar with suffering, like one from whom we would actually hide our faces. And then this king finds himself being um, executed by the state. You know, he, he finds himself executed like a criminal on a cross, which is the most humiliating and painful torture and execution device of his day. He's, think, his family thinks he's crazy. His best friends abandon him, and the world turns their back on him. You know, he preached a message of forgiveness, 
of service and grace, of repentance of sins, of loving God, of loving your neighbor, of loving your enemies. And this king and his plan for ruling and reigning, it comes through death. It comes through through giving up your life and sacrificing it on behalf of others. It comes through forgiveness. It comes through love. Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 1.18 when he calls the message of the cross foolishness. It's completely unimpressive. And that's why we dismiss it. That's why we ignore it. That's why we don't think it will ultimately work if we're honest. We think it's not big enough. It's not powerful enough. It's not flashy enough. It's not efficient enough. It's not strong enough. Um, but Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29. He says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. This is the way of Jesus in his kingdom. The way to life is through death. The way to power is through losing it through service and considering others better than yourselves. The way to honor and significance is through humility and repentance. You know, it's unimpressive when you gather for worship on a Sunday morning with God's people. It's unimpressive when you don't address every fault and problem that you find with your spouse or your children or your friends, when you don't pick a fight and you actually trust that Jesus' love for you is enough in that moment and you let love cover a multitude of sins and you offer grace and forgiveness. It's unimpressive when you offer a gentle answer of humility and tenderness and compassion, and you don't join in the throng of the shouting to get your point across, dismissing people that are different from you. It's unimpressive to extend hospitality, to welcome sinners, to believe in the truth of the scripture and of the gospel. It's unimpressive when you serve in the background, when you elevate and you build others up at your own expense and you don't seek your own agenda. It's unimpressive to serve the lowly and the broken and the outcast and the least of these. It's unimpressive when you faithfully sacrifice your time and your energy and your resources to serve Jesus' church. It's unimpressive to the watching world, but it's Jesus' way. And following him is the best way and the most significant thing that we can be a part of, the most impactful thing that we can be a part of because... It's Jesus's way, and it actually leads to life and to resurrection. So we miss God's kingdom because we think that it's unimpressive to us. But Jesus' kingdom, it's not just unimpressive, it's also unrecognizable. Look at verses 26 to 28. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. You know, we miss Jesus' kingdom because it's unrecognizable to us. Uh, The growth is slow and steady and gradual. We don't understand it. We don't understand how it works. We don't do even do anything to contribute to its growth. It doesn't happen according to our logic or our plans or our policies. We can't control it and we can't predict it. You know, verse 28 says, all by itself, It's where we get the word for automatic. It happens automatically, without our effort, without our understanding. Three years ago, um, my father-in-law planted a tangerine tree in my backyard, 
and I'm not good with plants. I kill everything, and uh, I, mainly because I don't do anything to it. So I think they need water. I've heard sunlight is good, um, but I couldn't tell you because I don't keep anything alive. Um, but, but after three years, we actually have one really small green tangerine. Now, we can't pick it yet because it's not orange, um, but it's been green for a long time, and I'm not sure it's ever going to turn orange. Um, but, but that's the way that God's kingdom works. It's slow and producing fruit. It's gradual. It's unrecognizable. Or you can think of it this way. My youngest daughter, Sawyer, is three years old. Um, and there's this period of time in Sawyer's life where we thought she wasn't going to ever have any hair. Um, she just, it just wasn't coming. Like we look back now at pictures and we laugh because it happened so slowly and so gradually um, and, and in the everyday life, we just missed it. Because now we, we can put our hair in ponytails, we can put our hair in pigtails. But at the time, we never thought that was gonna happen. And so it's only when we look back through pictures that we actually can see the growth that's happened now. And that is exactly how God's word works in us. The growth of God's kingdom, the spread of his rule and his reign in our worlds and in our hearts and lives, it's just like that. You know, when, when the word of Jesus' kingdom and his gospel is planted in us, um, within hearts that are receptive and humble to his word, and we take it in, the growth is slow. We'd prefer it, if we're honest, to happen all at once. Um, we'd prefer to trust Jesus one day and immediately stop sinning. Uh, we'd prefer to have all of our pain go away, to not have to wrestle with doubt, to not have to wrestle with suffering, to not have to wrestle with fear and discouragement. But that's not how it happens. That's not what Jesus promises. As we continue to take in the seed of God's grace and his word, we see, though, that God goes to work. And slowly, over time, the anger, the pettiness, the fear, and the doubt are slowly pushed out and are weeded out by this gardener, and they're replaced with gentleness, with kindness, with the fruit of the Spirit, with generosity, with forgiveness, with faith, and with confidence. It's not all at once, and it's not even all the way because Jesus hasn't returned to finally rid the world and our hearts from sin and sickness and death and the devil. But when you're frustrated with your spouse, when you're frustrated with your children or your friends, and you choose humility, and you choose patience and forgiveness, and you don't exact your pound of flesh from them, it's slow growth. But the seeds of love and humility and forgiveness that you're planning in those moments when you choose to trust that Jesus really is enough, that his love is more important than you getting your way, you begin to bear fruit slowly, over time, unrecognizable even, but the growth is happening. There's a quote in the front of your bulletin from R.T. France uh, where he says, the kingdom of God does not depend on human effort to achieve it, and human insight will not be able to explain it. Despite appearances to the contrary, it's growing, and the harvest will come, but it will come in God's time and in God's way, not by human effort or in accordance with human logic. You know, we want significant, powerful growth now in accordance with what makes sense with us, with accordance with what we see fit and how we think our plans should go and how our our plans of progress and holiness and our programs, the ways that we deem acceptable. And then we want to contribute. We want to grow and we want to look and say, look at what I've done. But 
As we read earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Any unrecognizable, any slow or steady growth in your life is all because of the grace and work of God in, in your life. The grain grows, though the man scatters seed and doesn't know why. Well, Paul tells us why in, in Romans 1, verse 16, the word by itself is powerful enough. Paul says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The gospel, the word of God, it's the dynamite under the soil of our lives that explodes by itself through the work of the Holy Spirit and it produces fruit. It produces a people that are more and more being shaped into Jesus' likeness. I mean, look at, at verse 28. It says, when the seed is planted, it grows. God's word is powerful enough to grow all by itself. God's seed is producing the fruit of love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important that we heed the word from Hebrews that says that do not give up the habit of meeting together. Do not give up the habit of gathering around and hearing the word of God, letting it scatter among you into your hearts. Do not give up the habit of meeting together and feasting around Christ's table because there's more that's happening here in this place right now than you ever can realize. Um, there's more happening with this unimpressive preacher in this unimpressive place than you can dare imagine because God's word is at work. God's word is here being scattered into the hearts of his people, and it produces a mature grain that's ready for the harvest. And so we wait. So we wait, past, um, we wait patiently, not passively, but we are realizing and recognizing that God's purposes for his kingdom growth are more important than our own. That growing in power, growing in significance and status and wealth and influence they're not what Jesus is after. Jesus is after love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. He's after using the lowly and the despised and the rejected and the insignificant and the unimpressive to achieve his purposes and his plans through death, through love, through humility and service. But God's kingdom growth is uncontrollable. It's happening, and he invites us to look around, and not with our own eyes, not with our own ideas of what success and significance and growth look like, but to look through eyes of faith, through, to look through Jesus' eyes to having our frameworks reoriented and shifted to his plans and his purposes. You know, with the, when the slow, unrecognizable fruit that Jesus deems significant grows in us, it actually transforms our relationships. It transforms our hearts. It transforms our jobs. It transforms our communities and our families, our institutions, and the lives of those around us that are wrestling with, with decay and bitterness and discouragement and hate and envy. Those things get pushed aside when, when the spirit takes effect and the seed goes to work and the power of God's purposes and the power of his word go to work in you producing his fruit. You know, the number one influence in the world right now is not politics, it's not elections, 
It's not terrorism. It's not global economics. It's God's kingdom at work, working unimpressively and unrecognizably to us. It's surely growing, and it's expanding through faith. So the question for us is, do we actually believe that? Is that really the reality that you live out of on a day in and day out, moment by moment basis, in the face of fear, in the face of uncertainty, in the face of pain and suffering and discouragement and all that threatens to undo us? God's kingdom is unimpressive, it's unrecognizable, but ultimately it's unstoppable. We see Jesus' kingdom is unstoppable in, in three ways here we're going to look quickly. First, we see Jesus' kingdom is unstoppable in verses 21 to 23 in this brief parable of the lamp. You know, after the parable of the sower, Jesus um, has just taught about uh, the receptivity of our hearts and receiving his word. And some question potentially what Jesus might be saying where they think maybe he's being secretive and, and keeping his good news from us. He kind of likes that. Um, that's what Jesus is after. And Jesus really answers that potential criticism here with this parable. He says, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be revealed. Now, doesn't it at first glance seem like that's the unstoppableness of Jesus' kingdom? But what we miss in our translations here is the awkwardness of how Jesus says this. He literally says this, when the lamp comes, there's a definite article there like the woodlands. Um, he's not just referring to any lamp. It's not just any lamp in your house. Um, it's the lamp. And this inanimate object, the lamp, it comes. It's acting, it's moving, it's moving in. Essentially what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, I am that lamp. I am the lamp that has come. And because I have come, I'm not going to be hidden. You are not going to keep my good news, my gospel, my reign hidden from the world. It's going to get out. It's going to, to come out. It's not going to remain a secret. It will not be hidden. It will be revealed and it cannot be stopped. Beginning with his preaching, with his ministry, with the miracles, culminating in his public death and resurrection, the good news goes out. We've seen this happen. That's why we're sitting here today, because we have it and we can read it together. It has gone out, and in, in this message, it will go to the nations. It, will, it has gone out, and it will continue to do so until every knee and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord when he finally returns to make all things new, when he finally returns to set all things right and to ultimately push back the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world that pushes back the darkness of our world. He's made that known in his life and death and resurrection and forgiving sins and defeating and, and healing sickness and disease and welcoming sinners in his life of perfect obedience and his resurrection from the dead. And he's continuing that work even now, unimpressively and often unrecognizable to us. He's doing it through his church and nothing is going to ever stop him from returning and ridding this world once and for all from sickness and death and the devil once and for all. We also see this, uh, that Jesus' kingdom is unstoppable in the sickle and in the shade in the two seed parables. You're like, Kyle, what are you talking about? Um, in the first, in, in verse 29, you see the sickle. Um, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest is come. 
Jesus' first hearers would have heard Jesus' explicit reference to Joel 3 there, which tells of the day of judgment when, at the end of days, when God will come and he will judge the whole earth according to our works, and those found in Jesus uh, will rest secure in him and will, will, will experience life with him forever, and those that reject God will experience separation from him. John, uh, the, the apostle, picks this up in Revelation 14 where he refers to the Son of Man coming with a sickle in his hand uh, to harvest his people for himself, to gather his people that believe and trust in him to himself. Jesus, as the king here, is saying, my kingdom is unstoppable. I will gather my people. Nothing will get in the way of me being with my people, not your sin, not death, not anything that you can throw at me because I am more powerful and I am going to be with my people. And so Jesus says, um, or he isn't saying in verses 24 um, where we have this, this call to pay attention to hear how his seed is sown among us. He's not saying, you know, you'll get out of this what you put into it. Um, remember, everything that we experience is due to the grace of God in our lives in the first place. He's not saying try harder and you'll get a better return on your moral investment. He's not saying that's how his kingdom works. He's extending this promise and this warning to us in verses 24 and 25. Basically, essentially, what Jesus is saying is if you grasp what I'm saying, and you go deeper into it, and you allow it to settle deeper into you, and you allow it to transform you from the inside out, you'll get more and more of me and my goodness. But if you remain at a superficial level, if you harden your heart to God and to his word, you'll lose even that sense of what God is doing in your midst. The kingdom is growing, and nothing is going to stop Jesus from gathering his people to himself, not the world around you, not sickness and suffering, not even your own sin. If you're resting in and you're trusting in Jesus for life and forgiveness through repentance and faith, you'll be gathered in completely once and for all, and nothing is going to get in the way of Jesus joining with you as his family. And lastly, we see that Jesus' kingdom is unstoppable in the shade of the mature mustard tree in verse 32. Jesus says, when, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Jesus hearkening back here to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 17, to Ezekiel 31, and to Daniel 4, where the kingdom of God is described as this cedar of Lebanon that he will cause to grow out of Israel on his mountain where the birds of the air will find shade under its branches. In those passages, we're told that the birds of the air are the nations of the world. Jesus' unstoppable kingdom will grow and will grow and will grow from seemingly unimpressive, unrecognizable, and insignificant beginnings to reach the whole world, to provide shade, to provide protection and rest and comfort and hope and life for every nation under its branches. His kingdom is so powerful, it cannot be stopped. It will reach out and it will cover the whole earth, bringing sinners to repentance and to life, making enemies of his into family members, bringing dead things back to life. That is the sure promise of the gospel that we find. That is the sure promise that Jesus is making here in this parable of the mustard seed. And because that's true, because that is certain, you and I, we can have hope in the here and now, 
despite what confusion and uncertainty we face politically, despite what troubles and trials and suffering and persecution may come, despite what pain and weakness and brokenness you experience, despite what relational anguish and, and you experience, despite what sin and discouragement and doubt that you might have, Jesus wants us to hear, he is the king. He's reigning right now from heaven, and he is slowly, yet surely, unimpressively, unrecognizably at times, but unstoppably bringing his kingdom to earth. He's fighting injustice. He's healing broken marriages and relationships. He's fighting against sickness and disease and suffering. He's forgiving sin and bringing resurrection from death. He's planting churches. He's producing the fruit of the Spirit in his people. His kingdom cannot be stopped. He tells Peter that in Matthew 16. He says to Peter, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus' kingdom, his plans, his purposes are unstoppable. He will not lose, despite what things look like right now, what, despite what things may look like in the future, Jesus wins. That's where all of history is heading. That's where you and I are heading. Do you believe that this morning? Do you live as though that is true when you're with your family, when you're talking to your friends, when you're writing on Facebook or Twitter? Do you believe that is true? The harvest and the shade are coming, so don't miss this time of sowing right now. Let God's word sink deeply into you. Sow his word into your life and into the lives of those around you. Rest in his power and the upside-down nature of his kingdom where, where the way up is down and the way to life is through death and the kingdom reign of Jesus will come slowly, unimpressively, unrecognizably, but it will be unstoppable through his love, through the power of his gospel, through humility and service and grace and forgiveness. Let me close with this story. My son, uh, Jude, who's six, loves to play with Legos. Um, we bought him Legos, like the little tiny ones, way before we should have. Um, but we love building and being creative with, with Legos and making dragons and spaceships um, out of the unassembled bags and their individual pieces. But when Jude gets a new box, um, we sit down and we spread the pieces out and we keep one bag open at a time, we put it on a plate, and we read and we follow the instructions. Because if we don't do that, when we actually get to the time where we need that one piece, we won't have it because we'll have used it elsewhere. And if we just rush ahead and we try to build it on our own, when it's finished, it actually won't be done because we didn't follow the instructions properly. And what Jesus is saying right here, he's saying, about his, about his kingdom, about the power of his kingdom, he's basically giving us the instructions. He's saying, follow me. Be careful how you hear my word. Live into my kingdom by being unimpressive, by being faithful, by being humble and serving and loving and forgiving those who hurt you, by, by seeking forgiveness when you hurt me and others. Let my word sink down deep into you, into your heart and into your life, and let its power go to work on you. Because my ways are not your ways. My kingdom does not grow according to your plans and according to your logic. The kingdom will grow. My kingdom will grow in your life 
in your family, in your community, in the world, the way it will do that is by following me through slow, steady, gradual faithfulness. Don't rush ahead. Don't go your own way. Look at the seed. This is my way. It may be unimpressive. It may be unrecognizable, but it's unstoppable. And nothing is going to get in the way of me accomplishing my purposes and setting all things to right and making all things new. Jesus says, be encouraged. Look at me. Rest in me and wait for it because it's happening. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your love and your goodness to us. We thank you that your kingdom uh, has begun through your life and death and resurrection. And we seek to participate in that by planting flags of the resurrection everywhere that we go. Um, Help us to to see that though unimpressive and unrecognizable, your kingdom is unstoppable. And you will work to accomplish your purposes, that you will make all things new one day. Help us to trust in that, to live out of that, to be excited about that, and to invite more and more people to receive and to hear that. We thank you for your goodness to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.